Holy One, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and redeemer, our advocate and guide. Amen. Please be seated. A year ago, the New Yorker published an article written by John Jeremiah Sullivan titled, Rhiannon Giddens and What Folk Music Means. This brilliant article uses the work of North Carolina musical artist Rhiannon Giddens as the lens through which to reflect upon the many layered history of folk music in the American South. Perhaps you know Giddens and her work. She has deep ties to this Piedmont region of North Carolina. She grew up in Greensboro, and in high school she attended the North Carolina School of Science and Math right down the road here in Durham. She went to Oberlin Conservatory of Music and then moved back to the area where she started to learn fiddle and banjo player banjo from legendary local musician Joe Thompson. Giddens became a founding member of the Carolina Chocolate Drops, a musical trio committed to unearthing the deep history of black American banjo and fiddle players. The Chocolate Drops won a Grammy and were favorite performers all around the Durham area about 15 years ago. Giddens eventually went on to a solo career. In 2017, she won a MacArthur Genius Grant which freed her to go deeper into the work that had been convicting her for the past decade. She was galvanized to explore the racialized history of songs and instruments and what they tell us about our own American history. Giddens sees her music and her work as a way to share the work of musicians who hundreds of years ago were brought across the ocean in slave ships, sold, enslaved, later segregated, musicians and artists who were alternately celebrated or silenced by white supremacist culture. One such musician, Frank Johnson, was allowed to tour widely across the South as a minor celebrity when he was a slave. He even visited the University of North Carolina for a ceremony there and played for them. But he faded from view after the Civil War once people had to pay him. Still, his playing inspired scores of string players in the late 19th century before the surgency of Jim Crow laws shunned and silenced them. The New Yorker article goes into far more detail about this fascinating history. Music teaches us so much about people in the past and about ourselves in the present. Giddens herself outlined some of these ideas in a keynote address she delivered in London last year for a festival. In her address, Giddens describes her own education in this sort of history, stating, nobody owns an instrument. No culture gets to put a lockdown on anything. Say the word bagpipes, and if you are anything like me of a few years ago, it conjures up the image of a kilted highlander and the land of moors and heather. But now I know it should also bring to mind an old man in a doorway in Sicily, or the smartly uniformed military band in Iraq, or a modern young woman from Galicia. And how did these instruments spread? Did they get themselves up and walk down the road? Of course not. 
They were spread by folks on the move, either conquering or being conquered, moving to better lands because of decade-long drought, spreading out because where they were getting to was too crowded. Whatever the reason, music is always traveling. Virtually every instrument we play today is a result of this legacy. The New Yorker article goes into a little bit more detail about this musical legacy of migration, pointing out that many different folk music traditions tend to contain a particular kind of melody or set of notes, neutral intervals between major and minor. In America, we call them blue notes, flatted thirds and sevenths and fifths. They can suggest moaning and dissonance it was actually often Islamic song traditions that acted as the conveyor for these deep strains in world music. The gliding chromaticism of the blues spread via Islamic influence into West Africa and via Spain into Ireland and the Celtic fringe. From those places, these styles and sounds rode farther west to North America on both slave ships and immigrant ships. And in the American South, the Celtic, and the African musical traditions met. It was an odd family reunion. Each culture had its own songs, but the idioms understood one another. The result was American music. Giddens herself explores these interweaving traditions in her album from last year, There Is No Other. There, she joins with musician Francesco Teresi to explore what happens when songs and instruments from different parts of the world enter into intimate conversation with each other. On the album, Giddens sings an Appalachian ballad with no accompaniment other than the fierce beating of the daf, an Iranian frame drum often used with Sufi music. The song brings lamenting vocals of Appalachia alongside what one reviewer calls the gloriously echoing rhythms of the Middle East. Giddens reflects on the end result, saying, this is the cornerstone of what we do and what we are doing. Here's a song from the mountains of America, and here is a drum from halfway across the world, and they are speaking the same language. I found this article fascinating because we often imagine and describe moments of creativity as a lightning strike, a flash of individual genius, a one-time event that emerges suddenly out of nowhere without preparation or precedence. What this article reveals is a recognition that none of us exist apart from a long stream of tradition, of struggles, of priorities and habits, of relationships and rituals and celebrations, a long stream which has shaped our every breath, even into this present moment of our life and our world. This is true of our faith and worship as well. Too often, we can view these things as a series of one-off events. We show up to worship on a Sunday, we are awed, we are inspired, we are amazed, and then we are done. Or we pop open, read open our book of the Bible and treat it like a dispenser of wisdom where we pop out a few words that inspire us, we are amazed, and then we close it up and we are done. 
It takes work to consider how these words and this worship is shaping us, is shaping our witness, is shaping these things as we carry them forth into our life and into our week and into our world. It takes work to see that we are connected to a vast community that crosses time and space, whether we like it or not. Because this week, we've been forced to face the stream of our own American history of racism, a stream of a tradition that is 400 years in the making, a stream that for nearly 400 years has counted people of color as less than human by the laws and the orders of the land. It is easier these days for most Americans, particularly white Americans, to see racism as a one-time event, one act done by a racist person quickly solved by an apology, an arrest, and it's done. And likewise, it's easy for us to imagine the work of justice and community building as a one-time event done by one inspirational person who said the right thing at the right time, and then the work is done. But we know and we discover again and again that this is not accurate. We realize over and over again, when we look at our world, that this reveals a limited and a blinkered imagination, particularly a limited religious imagination. We are not isolated individuals as a church, as a community, as a nation. We are connected to a vast community that spans time and space. And so we have to discover this and learn this over and over again. The work of justice and of healing and of reparations is the work of many people across many years through many different trials and tribulations. We can see some of this work unfolding in the embodied witness of thousands of people around our nation who are trying to peacefully protest systematic brutality. Justice, like faith, like so much of life, is not a one-time event. Similar to how musical traditions must intermingle before manifesting the emotions of a moment, so we too arrive in a certain time and place seeking the future while still tugging forward our past. We must acknowledge these two things. We have to admit that we do not leave behind what has come before, even while we are seeking what is our future hope. We are like instruments reimagined from migration and memory, shaped and reshaped in each generation. And yet, we still show all the ways that we've been shaped and reshaped, formed and reformed from so many hands and hearts that have come before. Our faith, like our music, like our lives, emerge from the thread of a thousand tributaries. This is helpful to remember as we turn and look more deeply at the scripture text today. In Pentecost, in the story we heard in the Acts of the Apostles, 
we celebrate the birth of the church. Here, a group of people who have already been scattered to many different neighboring nations all around the region come together for a little while, awaiting what comes next. The Spirit is what comes. As Jesus promised, the Spirit comes with fierce and fulminous winds. The Spirit comes bellowing and blowing, revealing that no one tradition or tongue or tribe will own the breath of God. The Spirit comes not just telling, but showing that the living word of Christ will be for all people, the Parthians, the Elamites, the Arabs, and everyone in between. A rich tapestry of peoples are being called forth as the church. Something new is happening here. And yet, even as the disciples celebrate this new thing, even as they reach for that new horizon, they also are looking behind, discerning what is happening to them using the wisdom of the tradition from which they have come. Peter calls upon the ancient words of Joel in order to describe this new thing that God is doing. This Pentecost moment shows us why we read scripture at all. We turn to the Bible over and over and over again, not as a one-time dispenser of inspiration, but as a witness with which we shape our future by discerning from our past. This is why the Hebrew scriptures are so particularly illuminating. In them, we receive the stories of so many people who have walked the way of faith with difficulty, with pain, with celebration and with joy. Through their example, we learn again and again about the promise and the provision of our God. The book of Numbers is all about a people learning how to be the children of God rather than the slaves of Egypt. In this book, the people are free already after the Exodus, but their hearts and their minds are still trapped by the tyranny of the empire. These people need to learn to trust each other, trust Moses, and trust their God. Not only in a one-time miracle of deliverance, but over and over again in the daily formative habits of their ordinary, everyday life. This is tough work. Being shaped and reshaped into a people of faith is not easy. And so the people in Numbers complain a lot. They complain about Moses' leadership. They complain about their sacrifices. They complain about the comforts and conveniences and even the cucumbers that they have left behind in Egypt. They are weary of wandering in the wilderness. And while the Lord of heaven and earth provides them with manna every day, the people still cry out for their meat of their Egyptian overlords. Earlier in chapter 11, the people's complaint to Moses so stridently that he likewise turns around and starts wailing to God, saying he would rather die than lead these people. I believe what God says in response is, Moses, take a deep breath, splash some water on your face, and come back and talk after you've had a nap. But that is reading between the lines. Instead, what God says in the text is, Go select 70 elders 
bring them to the tent. I will come and talk to you. I will take my spirit and put it upon them. They shall bear the burden of the people along with you so you will not have to bear it all yourself. Here, in this story, as we are shown in so many stories, here we see again the pattern of God's provision. In times of struggle and trial and post-traumatic stress, God still sends forth the Holy Spirit to provide a new way for God's people. Upon the elders and upon Eldad and Medad, upon prophets and disciples alike, God pours out the Holy Spirit. God is doing a new thing, and this is a very old pattern. The Spirit has never been stymied by our struggles or contained and controlled by our complaints. Not even mockery about new wine can halt the abounding hope of God. Nobody owns the Spirit. Nobody controls the Spirit. In each of our scripture passages today, the Spirit is free and on the move, breaking through locked doors, prophesying in the camps, pouring out upon all flesh in the midst of all people, like fire, like wind, like portents from heaven above, Nobody owns the Spirit of God, and this Spirit is being made known in the lives of each generation, in the lives of young and old, sons and daughters, slave and free. The Spirit is being made known then as it is being made known in our lives, even now. We stand in streams that are fed by a thousand voices along the way. We witness to a community of faith that has been shaped by peoples from every time and place. This is good news that we must cling to, particularly in our current season of sickness. When we are physically separated, it is more important than ever to acknowledge that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are not disconnected. We are not alone. We are not isolated in our faith, in our community, in our church, in our life together. We stand within an ongoing, ever-flowing stream of believers. We stand with people from every corner of our world, people who span over 2,000 years, testifying to God's promises and God's provision. We stand in a stream of people who do not let anything keep them from being the body of Christ. Not exile or famine, not persecution or imprisonment, not enslavement or white supremacy, not doubt or despair or the dark night of the soul. We stand with people who have not and will not let anything stop them from being the body of Christ in the world. We might be scattered, we might be separated, we might be challenged and frustrated and unable to see what is coming next. But the Holy Spirit is still at work. God is still doing a new thing. And this is a very, very 
old pattern. Our service today includes the voices of some of our choir members singing from their homes via pre-recorded video. You heard several of those singers already. You have heard the voices of congregation members and members of the Duke community. And you will hear the voices of our choir at the end in the benediction. Many people have worked hard from the choir to Zeb, our choir director, to the technicians. Many people have worked hard to create these pieces and we are grateful for the work that they have brought to bring this call to worship, this choral introit, and the benediction into being. We probably never would have chosen to hear the voices of our choir and our congregation in this way. We never would have chosen to make music together by this, these virtual means rather than gathering as a body in the presence of each other. However, here we are, in our current coronavirus moment, and the Holy Spirit is here as well. The Holy Spirit is moving here, even now. Even now, God is doing a new thing. Even now, we remember God's ancient pattern of new beginnings revealed in Christ, made known to us at Pentecost by the power of the Holy Spirit. On this day, as all days, but particularly on this day of Pentecost, may we pray that we will again receive a revelation of the Spirit in our midst, our future hope, our past provision, our ever-present help, and joy. I'm going to close with the prayer that will be sung by many voices at the end of our service. I invite you to hear these words now and reflect on them now and later to see how they witness to what our moment is sharing with us and inviting us to enter into a moment when we can carry these words into the world and into our own lives, today, tomorrow, and in the days to come. Let us pray. O Lord God, who has called thy servants to ventures of which we cannot see the endings, by paths as yet untrodden, through perils unknown, give us faith to go out with a good courage, not knowing whither we go, but only that thy hand is leading us and thy love supporting us to the glory of thy name.